This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello, and welcome again to the future of finance, the podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. Welcome back. Today we are joined by Mike Harris. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. Mike was the founder of First Direct, Egg and Mercury, three of the original unicorns, I believe. And he's one of the UK's greatest entrepreneurs, if not the greatest entrepreneur in financial services. Mike, perhaps you can tell the audience a little bit about your career to date. Yeah, I started life as a computer programmer. Eventually joined Midland Bank, worked my way up the tech organization there. Then got bored with that, went into a tech startup, then a bit of consultancy. One of my consultancy assignments was back at Midland when a guy called Kit McMahon had just taken over as chairman. He was trying to transform the bank. And I saw an opportunity in that consultancy assignment to pitch what became First Direct to him. He was entranced by the idea. They funded it. It's the way First Direct got built. And I obviously became chief executive of that for a while. Ultimately headhunted by Cable and Wireless to take over at Mercury Communications which was a competitor to BT, focused on the business market. While I was there, I built a big consumer brand, a big consumer business, and a mobile phone company uh, that eventually got sold for a shed load of money. Um, and then from there, when Mercury was being broken up and sold, I went out to Silicon Valley for a bit, ran a little venture fund for Cable and Wireless, a very subscale venture fund and very amateurish leaders, including me, against the titans of Silicon Valley. I soon got felt this wasn't going to work and came back and actually was enticed to Prudential Insurance Company by Peter Davis, who'd just taken over as CEO. Peter wanted to help driving Prudential into the digital age. Didn't quite expect me to pitch an idea of an internet bank to him, which is how Egg got funded by Prudential and then built, floated on the stock exchange. Eventually, I retired or attempted to retire from Egg in 2005, co-founded another company called Garlic, which is in cybersecurity. That was sold to Experian in 2012. Then based on my experience and expertise I built over that entire career, I've been mentoring other companies since based on a structured program that I call Iconic Shift. Wow. I'm going to summarize that for a moment because I don't think we've ever had anyone with a past quite like that. Computer programmer to banker to consultant, bank to the Midland Bank, first direct, cable and wireless, built a phone brand amongst other things, to venture capital in the valley, to insurance, to cybersecurity. And internet banking in between insurance and cybersecurity. And internet, wow, that's, uh, that's incredible. It really is. And for such a decorated man, so incredibly humble, you would just, yeah, you would never guess that you've achieved quite so much. You mentioned just then very briefly the mentoring piece. You spend a lot of your time now on Iconic Shift. You have created a structured approach to mentoring rather than the ad hoc mentoring that, that most of us know. Can you talk a little bit about what Iconic Shift does, the sorts of people you've interacted with, and perhaps some of the results you've seen? Yeah, it's a business architecture which is teachable. Uh, I built it with the help of others because I'm, I had no experience of teaching, although it is based on my business experience and expertise. It's taught through workshops and one-to-one -one mentoring. 
and people are given processes and structures to build a strategy and an architecture for themselves. I don't build it for them, I show them how to build it. And it's designed really to create what we call iconic businesses, which is what three of mine were described as. Um, iconic is a symbol of excellence, which others aspire to and obviously generate economic value through the way it attracts people to it, customers and people who work for it. I have really applied that in depth to about 30 businesses, ranging from early stage startup through to much large businesses looking to grow more quickly than they otherwise would. About Several hundred businesses have come to workshops and seminars of one sort or another on little aspects of the architecture, but 30 in depth. When I started, I was ignoring financial services as much as possible because I wanted a change. Now it's largely focused on fintech. Hardly surprising it's focused on fintech. I'm fascinated to hear about some of the trends you've seen through your career. I think given that you built a digital bank before the big wave of fintech, the first wave, and every bank on the planet now is talking about building neobanks. Yeah, talk to me a little bit about the trends you've seen and what do you think some of the biggest, most prolific shifts are in the industry today? Well, it's hard for people who weren't there to understand what financial services was like in the 1970s. And if we look at the changes since then, I think we can look at them in terms of regulation, competition, technology, and globalization. They're all very interrelated, but very little of that existed in the 1970s. The technology was relatively low-key and crude and it wasn't a big issue for banks management. There was absolutely no competition. It was all gentlemen together. There was little or I like no the sound of that. <laughs> there was little or no globalization. And regulation was friendly and unintrusive, but actually surprisingly effective over those 11 a.m. gin and tonics at the Bank of England, mm-hmm. which I still remember so well. But since then everything's radically changed. I mean we're in a globalized industry now, clearly. Competition's ferocious, not only between existing incumbents, but between all the new entrants as well. Technology is central and dramatically transformational Mm -hmm. to financial Mm -hmm. services and the bank management still worries about it and doesn't understand it and is panicking about it most of the time. And regulation is hugely intrusive. So those changes have been really quite dramatic and and yet I feel on the technology front we've barely started and we're in a unique period now where there are so many technologies maturing together that it is almost impossible to imagine what might happen in the next 10 years. I love that. Technology front, we're just getting started. I tend to agree. Some of the trends I think our listeners like to hear about revolve around the blockchain, other buzzwords like AI, cryptocurrencies, all that sort of stuff. The stuff that are much more meaningful and seismic than just the words and connotations people associate with them. Lots of day-to-day uses. We're starting to see smart contracts across every industry, not just financial services. What's your take on that stuff? Well, for a long time, I thought Bitcoin and blockchain was hype, speculation, a haven for fraudsters. Then I met some people engaged in what they call creating the tokenized economy, and I began to understand what it really meant, and I'm mentoring several of them. And I think it is probably the most transformational technology I've ever seen impacting not only on financial services but on pretty much every industry and like most technologies you know you can either use it to improve what you've got which is why most 
incumbents are looking at yeah. it. The example I always give here is uh, Booking.com, which improves the process of booking hotels yeah. versus Airbnb, which is a thoroughly transformed business model. Yeah. And you can use blockchain and crypto in exactly the same way. Make more efficient or reimagine? Reimagine. Yeah. And the people I'm working with are reimagining financial services from first principles. What would a blockchain bank look like, etc.? And the thing about it is, if what I finally got my mind around is it's not about cryptocurrency at all, but it's about tokenization. So you can issue digital tokens that represent literally any asset, any real world asset, any digital asset, anything that has economic value, and you can trade them easily. And if you start to think about what that means, you soon see that it removes the need for most intermediation. And given banking is based on, you know, banks, banks are intermediaries, as are many other businesses. And if you look at it from an economic perspective, you often find and I make myself really unpopular when I say this with my friends in financial services, but most intermediaries extract more value from customers and the economy as a whole, and they add value. They tend to be value extractors rather than value adders. And in that sense, the blockchain and tokenization could be thoroughly transformational for the entire economy, because Mm -hmm. I believe the more value creators there are in the economy versus value extractors, the better off we all are. So that, without going into much detail about some of the some of the imaginations, if you like, of the people I'm mentoring, this ability to tokenize and trade is really exciting. It is mixed intimately with artificial intelligence. Yep. Because one of the problems you have with these tokens is what we might call price discovery and authentication that... What the blockchain does is protect their value. The owner can protect the value of an asset without needing an intermediary to do that for them. But then people are trading them need to understand they are real and what value they mm-hmm, have. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of value discovery authentication piece, uh, artificial intelligence looks massively important in playing a role in that. And then you get onto the other things like Internet of Things and, and robotics. Yeah. And you, know, you add all that lot together on top of uh, ubiquitous smartphones and the internet, which we've been building on for, for many, many years. And you have a number of technologies maturing together. First time in my life that's happened. Yeah. Normally it's one big technology, but not five or six together. And you know, that's why I think it is unknowable what will happen in the next 10 years based on all of this, let alone the thought that some Silicon Valley giants might try and steal little bits of the value chain off financial services companies. I love that. Tokenized economy, not a crypto economy, removing the intermediaries. I watched a movie the other day that said, the art of good business is being a good intermediary. I can't remember what movie it was now. I'll come back to you on that. Well, it's funny, you know, in the early days of the internet, a lot of people were saying this is the end of intermediation. It wasn't, actually. It was the growth of massive intermediation. So one can never be sure. Platform businesses are the ultimate Are the ultimate intermediaries, yeah. So one can never be sure. I know a lot of the people who are involved and enthusiasts for the web in the early days are distraught at what it's become. Yeah. Rather than becoming the individual revolution that everybody had hoped for, it has, you know, led to domination of the sort we have never seen before by a handful of very large companies who can control everything. So a lot of people distraught about that. There's a lot of passion and zeal in the crusade to do it properly this time. Yeah. And many of us, or many people, I suppose I have to include myself now I've understood it, many people see the, the blockchain and tokenization as the technology we've all been waiting for. Yeah. We will see. Mike, we've known each other for, for quite a while. I've never grown up the courage 
to ask this, but we really should have you on our deal origination team. I think you'd be a valuable asset. <laughs> Delighted, actually. <laughs> awesome. You've never asked me. There we go. We cleared that one up. You heard it here first. Mike's join, joining Motive Partners. Um, following that, through the mentoring stuff, you've met some amazing people. I know every time we catch up, you know, I always get these little nuggets and gems of incredible information. Have any of the, the mentorships evolved into other roles and chairmanship type things? And what are you primarily focused on on a sort of business by business level? Okay, so two of the companies I've mentored asked me to become chairman. They're, wow. at, they're at opposite ends of the spectrum. One is an early stage fintech that's got funded now, involved in cybersecurity for SMEs, actually, not, not like garlic, which was consumers. This is for SMEs. Are you able to say what? Yes, called Kind, K-Y-N-D. And it's ex-garlic people created it. So I knew, oh, wow. I knew them well. It's going really, really, really well. And some very exciting technology being built there. And at the complete opposite end of the spectrum, I'm chairman of a company I mentored uh, is a veterinary group, 300 practices and growing rapidly called Medivet. And we are growing that business dramatically and heading for a very big exit, I hope, fingers crossed. Fantastic. So that's what I'm doing. At Poffin, I've got five or six mentoring clients focused on different aspects of fintech. I've started to focus on crypto and blockchain, although I've got a client in peer-to-peer because uh, I never thought that would work and I'm trying to prove myself wrong. Out of interest on the peer-to-peer, I mean, I know that correlation can be the biggest killer with peer-to-peer. Once, once it goes sour, everything goes sour, depending on asset class. What's your thesis on peer-to-peer? When I looked at it to start with, when it when it was launched, I couldn't see what it was giving that banks weren't already doing. I couldn't see the basis of the transformation when I looked at it economically. Mm-hmm. When it started to grow dramatically, of course, was after the financial crisis when banks were constrained on lending and interest rates were hopeless. Yeah. Suddenly it met a fantastic need, you know. Here's a free supply of lending and here's better interest rates than you get anywhere else. So I thought, yeah, it's going to grow. It's going to be fantastic during this period. But they're going to have to watch it when interest rates start to rise because they have grown in the most benign economic circumstances you can imagine. What Mm. will it look like when they've got no capital buffer to support them? What will it look like when the going gets tough? So I have picked a small peer-to-peer lender. I like the people a lot and I'm trying to make sure they're prepared for that and thrive through it. So that's one of them. But mostly the fintech plays I'm involved in are mostly to do with crypto and tokenization now. That's awesome. Thank you, Mike. Another person that we've interviewed, well, I I just don't know how you find the hours in the day. Always so much going on. Clearly, mentorship is is a large part of what you do. Who have been your mentors? Who have been the people that inspired you to then go do what you did and then give back? In fact, Steve Daffron, one of my colleagues, said a very interesting phrase when I first met him, and it, it actually stuck. It was learn, earn, return as the three mm. phases of one's no, no. career. Well, I hope I have learned from everybody I've worked for. I've certainly tried to. My strongest mentor is probably going to surprise you, and that is my grandfather. So he built a successful, albeit relatively small, employed about 100 people, business in the West Midlands, which started in the 1920s, thrived through the 30s, the the downturn in the 30s, thrived through the war, grew dramatically in the 50s, 60s and 70s, and is still 
exists today, run by one of my cousins. And so, and it was in the motor trail. They sold cars, they serviced cars, they ran fleets of lorries and coaches and things like that. And I used to wander around the premises with him. We actually all lived on the premises. It was a fantastic family environment. And it was five or six houses in a big complex on this big... Sounds like a lot of fun. It was a great... Yeah, I still remember the football and the cricket that we used to play. But I used to walk around with him and I picked up a lot from him. What I picked up was he would always put customers first. It was the first job was to do a great job for customers. Second job is to keep my employees happy. The third job I'll look after myself now. I'll try and balance the three. I know to I know to be successful and sustainable. Those three have got to be in balance. But my order of priorities is customers, employees, myself and the family. And that that I've stuck in my mind that the this Focus on culture and looking after people and focus on dealing with customers has really been a strong thread that's run through my life. The other thing he was brilliant at was pitching his business to everybody he met, and that has sort of rubbed off, I think, in, in some of the work I do with my clients and teaching them how to pitch in two minutes. So that, that was, I think, my strongest mentor, actually. After that, I picked Colin Marshall, who you've probably, you're, you guys are all too young to have heard of, but Colin Marshall was recruited as chief executive of British Airways in, the, in 1983, when it was the world's worst airline by any measure. In 10 years, he turned it into the world's best airline. Sounds like we need Colin Marshall again. He's dead, <laughs> sadly. Oh. Um, but he's long gone. But he, Yeah, he needs something. Yeah, and he was... Was, he was on the board of Midland Bank when I was building First Direct and he's a great supporter. And, you know, they built fabulous brands, Club World, World Traveller, First Class, and the only airline in the world at that stage that differentiated the customer experience based on the brand as opposed to merely it being a branding thing. And I got from him the, the importance of brand being about customer experience, not about design. He was really very good. Apart from that, Richard Branson, I got to know at Mercury when he was building Virgin Atlantic. And I think his approach to business is pretty inspirational. It is very customer focused. It is very cultural focused. And obviously, I've spent some time with Bill Gates in various ways. And you got to admire what he created there. And so the people I sort of was aware of uh, were Gates and Jobs. You know, I mean, they weren't everybody's exact cup of tea. But the ability to create such dramatically differentiated and powerful companies from zero it's something you absolutely have to admire wow not a bad list of role models is it very cool thank you you've got me thinking about BA I had a horrific flight the other day and yeah they really need to go back to customer experience I think you know what happened there so when Colin Marshall retired I've forgotten the name of the guy who took over Ailing, I think his name was Hmm. Uh, he was a finance guy so he financialized British Airways, i.e. he managed it purely on shareholder value and cost. He cancelled all the training programs that they had put their staff through, which, you know, what Colin used to say to me is, you know, I tell the pilots, don't experiment when you're landing the plane. <laughs> Follow the process. I tell the check-in people they've got a lot more scope to meet customer needs. You know, there's some process they have to follow, but they have a lot of scope. I tell my cabin staff, do what it takes to make the customers happy. There's no rules. And to make that work, you need a fantastic amount of training. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. And I took all those ideas, built them into First Direct, took people through huge training programs to say this is how you differentiate between what you must do and where you've got freedom to do mm. whatever it takes. And the guy who came in cancelled all of that and cut costs. And, you know, it was the start of the decline of British Airways, basically, I think, from the world's favourite airline to very much an also run. Yeah, to the world's Avios airline. We've talked about the evolution of financial services from a digital perspective and technology becoming ubiquitous and pervasive and really changing everything. 
we haven't talked about what I think is one of the City of London's ultimate change factors, the Ned Club, where the Midland Bank used to be. Have you been there? Oh, yes. Yes. God, it's amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. Um, I mean, that building, I spent a lot of my time in there when it was a rabbit warren. Yeah. Inhabited by chief general managers and assistant chief general managers and general managers and assistant general managers and general managers' assistants. You get the sense of hierarchy. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you're right. Amazing place. Well, you used to not be able to get a coffee in the city and, and now you've got all you can eat and drink brunches happening at the Ned. It's a, it's a fun place to be. We don't need lots of Neds, but I'm glad there's one. That's, there's one. that's yeah. for sure. And to be in such an iconic building, very cool. One final part, you talked about mentoring, it's you know, giving back, that return aspect, super important. I know that you work with a charity. Red Start. Can you tell us a bit about the work you're doing there? Yeah, it's created by one of my client mentoring clients also has a business to, to run, which he created as well from scratch. This charity is something he's truly passionate about. It is aimed at teaching children from as young as four the importance of saving. And that's the start of uh, and the importance of compounding and the importance of making provision for their retirement as soon as the age of four. And that starts them on a journey of financial literacy. Now, I know from my time as chief executive of a bank that if I'm lucky, 9% of my customers have a clue what I'm talking about. Financial literacy is very, very low and frightens most people. It's, it, it's not a good thing. And, and so he, he thinks the way to get it, kids is at school and then through digital. And he's written a book called Grow Your Acorns and the whole thing's a big charity mm-hmm. and got mm-hmm. lots of support. And yeah, it's fantastic. I can't remember what the percentage is, but it always surprises me the number of unbanked people there are in the UK. It is a problem not just in developing markets, no, but, it, but it's a problem everywhere. It is. It is. And the problem is even a lot of the people who are banked actually don't understand enough about money to make the most of their finances. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it would make a difference if one could get that more widely spread. Mike, it's always a huge pleasure to see you. Thank you so much. I feel like I've learned more than I'd learn in a week. So I'm truly grateful. I'm sure our listeners are too. Thank you. Great pleasure, Sam. Good to talk to you. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motor partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of motive partners. Motive partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry the economy, motive partners or motive partners investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.